Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. Ty and Brantley are here, and we are going to introduce the biggest storylines that we'll be watching out for heading into the offseason. Um, we have we have a list here. There's a lot that could go uh, many different ways this offseason. And so, um, before we start at the top, Ty, what's up? How you doing? Hanging in. Hanging BD? in. BD? Sounds like Zach Lowe. <laughs> That's right. Uh, man, I'm... I'm doing I'm doing just lovely. Love chatting with you guys about the grizzles. I mean Maria's, this is this is the exciting Maria's. stuff right here. This is this is where this we is are for. speculating, especially when you're a team like the Grizzlies, who many have called like the biggest player in this offseason, potentially based on resources um and standing in the league. I mean, that is it's it's we've literally had uh no more exciting time than this to be a Grizzlies fan in this offseason. I'm telling you. Um, but getting, we, getting a uh, top shot or whatever that golf thing's called. Top golf is just going to, everyone's going to want to come. That's right. <laughs> Memphis Top Golf is proven to be the biggest draw for free agency <laughs> in the NBA. Um, all right, let's start at the top. We've got John Morant eligible to sign a max extension on July 1st. His uh, extension. That he'll sign will be for five years, $186 million if he decides to take it. Apparently, the biggest thing to negotiate is going to be if he gets a player option in the fifth year. Uh, but he recently said in his exit interview that, uh, does he want to stay in Memphis? Hell yeah. So that was great to hear. Um, I will say this. There is a caveat that if he does make All-NBA um, next season, that $186 million deal will increase to $222 million over five Jeez. years. He'll be eligible for the Supermax extension, which um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to pay John Morant every dollar that he's eligible to make. Um, to me, this is a no-brainer. What do you all think about this extension? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. Analysis. Yep and yep. <laughs> And that's make it at three yeps because uh, this is going to happen. Uh, we lock in a um, our superstar, and it's safe to say that now. And this apparently will be the very first max rookie extension the Grizzlies have ever signed, which I don't know if that says more about Ja or that says more about the Grizzlies, but I am thankful that Morant is that player. And you telling me O.J. Mayo didn't get the max extension? I'm telling you. I mean, he could have. Or Rudy. Yeah, I know. Ooh, Rudy. It was we had such an acquired team, and, and Mike Conley too was such a late bloomer um, that he wasn't he wasn't part of that rookie extension, uh, max extension class. Um, but Jaw, I mean, there's so much to be said, and yet at the same time, we don't feel like it needs to be said because everybody knows, and uh, we are excited that John Morant will be a Grizzly. Knock on wood. Um, for who knows how long. Hopefully it's rest for a very life. long time. Um, the next one, which is, to me, um, arguably the most interesting part of this these storylines, and we, we have a lot to unpack here, and so this is just sort of the introduction, but the Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson free agencies, um, for what it's worth, Tyus is el- eligible to sign 
uh, four-year up to $55 million contract. He can sign that until the the last day of June. Um, but if they do not come to an agreement on an extension, and it doesn't have to be that. It can be below that. But if they don't come to an agreement, he will become an unrestricted free agent. Same with Kyle Anderson. If there's no extension agreement before that date, then they will be unrestricted and can test the market. Um, so, guys, I mean, you, we have talked about these two players a lot this season and what their long-term potential could be on this team. Uh, what do you feel at a high level about each of these guys? We'll start with you, Brantley. Yeah, maybe before I, I do that, I'm curious, like – what's sort of the implication of like what availability we have against the cap going into next season? I know it's sort of variable. Is there so like a range? If we, t- if we retain these two guys at what is considered, you know, maybe an, like an average market value for them, then we will be most likely operating as an over the cap team. And what that means is, is we don't necessarily have space to sign free agents above the mid-level exception which is going to be around 10 million dollars if we keep kyle and tyus and if we keep them if we keep kyle and tyus and jaws extension actually won't have any cap impacts for next year but um those are the two and so they're if they do let's say we do not retain either of them we will have up to around 20 million dollars in cap space to sign free agents um, if they don't sign. If everything else we don't extend. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Um, It's going to be really interesting. I think that the Tyus market especially, I mean, he's gotten, there have been some rumors out there uh, for him um, signing with a couple teams. Um, Like the Knicks have been brought up. I know that like, I I don't know. There there are a couple teams out there that I think could use a guy like Tyus. He's going to, have to decide whether he wants to take, you know, a starter role on a team that might not be <laughs> quite as good as the Grizzlies or if he's comfortable uh, being in Memphis. One thing that I wanted to throw out there is I've heard um, from John Hollinger, uh, who was on Chris Vernon's show, he said that if he were in the Grizzlies' shoes, he would propose signing Tyus to like a one-year deal that's pretty big, like a $20 million one-year deal. And then after that, seeing if he'll have like sort of a handshake agreement to re-sign for a smaller deal after that. So you take care of him on the front end before John Morant's Supermax extension kicks in, and then he's kind of your backup long-term. What would y'all think about that? Well, maybe before I answer that question specifically, I'm really sorry. This is about to be bad pot or bad moderator. I just like, I can't help but like, answer the Kyle Tyus discussion without also like thinking about how Kleiman handled um, sort of his POV on moving forward. Like they're just so tied together. It's hard to like separate the future of those guys without how he said. And one of the things that I was doing was just trying to be like, because Kleiman has historically sort of been pretty closed off to the media. Right. Like, I mean, he, he, he will, do his thing at exit interviews and media days. But up until really like jaw, like sort of like making his bet on, you know, prior to the season at media days, like claiming job will, you know, make the all-star game like type of thing. He had not really, I don't know, like talked game, I guess you would say. 
last year, the theme coming out of exit interviews was all around growth. It was all around like, hey, this was sort of like the theme between Jenkins to all players to even Kleiman was just like, hey, like, you know, we've we did some good things this year. We made it to the, you know, to against Utah. You know, we lost in the first round. It's all about sort of like we're just kind of at the beginning stages. We're just sort of like now trying to assess who we are. It's time to grow as players, grow as an organization. We've gone from zero to something and it's time to grow. If you compare that to this season or this exit interviews where Kleiman is quoted as saying like, it's time for us to be opportunistic to build out our roster. The cap space numbers are going to get thrown around. That doesn't include first round pick cap holes. I wouldn't rule anything out. Um, towards the end, he basically was saying like, hey, like we've, um, we know that our window is open. Like those are all things that to me, like, I sort of like heard that and I was like, okay, this is a guy that's starting to match his operational thinking of players alongside of his team's mentality. His team wants to smoke. They're going to go out there and compete with the best. Now it's his time. He's seeing the, and, and realistically the windows open. We were the two seed. We competed against, um, a, you know, a team, uh, that has championship pedigree and made it to, and is making it to the, you know, the Western Conference Finals. And you don't know how long our window is open. So I think it's fair to say our window is open. That's a real thing. You don't really know. You look at this season and like, man, you're like, goodness, if we had figured out how to pull out a couple of those Golden State wins, I mean, I don't know. It'd be sort of interesting going up against Luca, like the Luca jaw thing. All of a sudden, maybe you've got a realistic conversation to make it to the finals for the first time in the franchise history. I mean, it's like, so all of that, I just think there's an interesting comparison to how we were talking, how climb in the front office was openly talking about us last year, heading into this off season where we made, you know, like we talked about in the last podcast, some fringe decisions that weren't active at the trade deadline. We made some things to set us up to move up in the draft to maybe open and allow the growth to happen in the regular season versus this year where, He's openly saying all bets are off. And I think that that I think that's a fascinating conversation, like even like deeper than just like Kyle and Tyus. And I don't know. That's the kind of thing that I think that has to sort of frame how we think about um, these two players in particular, because it's like sort of like the way to think about it is, does this help enhance or improve our roster? and the funds that we have available moving forward. And and that's going to be the strategic lens that I think the front office is going to view all transactions and opportunities through. They're in, in those interviews, all signs point to them moving what has always been since climate took over a long-term window. And he is basically openly saying he's moving that to now. Yeah. Which is, which is nuts. I mean, it really is. When you look at all of the different rhetoric coming out of the front office in the first couple of years up to now, um, and I think they got to know too. I mean, they there aren't necessarily. And we'll get into this, but there aren't a ton of free agent options, and so you know they're probably looking at this saying, you know, is cap space our friend? 
this offseason because in a free agent rich environment the teams with cap space are in a more advantageous position you know with that said are they thinking trade yeah and they use the word opportunistic that t- seems to be involved more in trade conversations than you know signings so there could be some you know easter eggs in there that we can take and apply <laughs> to what we think will happen but yeah i think you're completely right and i think that the way that you frame that is how we should think through what could happen in this offseason yeah you know and so i'm just like i'm on the record as like i'm a tyus guy like i've said multiple times i sort of think that like him and his role is so critical to like this team you know wh- what helps when jaw gets injured having someone that can truly ball handle and play off the ball in big moments in a playoff series. And so maybe that's just a role that we've identified and we don't have to like go out and take care of Tyus, for instance, you know, to the Hollinger point, I think that's an interesting strategy. I don't, I think that that only makes sense if like it doesn't prevent us from making the type of big move that they're saying that they're now, like we've been wondering for a long time, when's the moment? do we go start to push some chips in? We've just been making fringe moves. Like we've been like, if you look at the final four teams available, half of the teams in the playoffs right now, Suns, Mavericks, Heat and Celtics, half of those teams made fringe moves in the middle of the season to make their teams better to get to where they're at. The Celtics got Tice and they got white from the Spurs uh, the Mavericks traded Kristaps and gotten Dinwiddie back, got Wote, Bertans, who hasn't really helped out a ton, but he's played some spot minutes and made a big difference. And the other half didn't. And so it's like, what type of, you know, are we setting ourselves up to make moves preseason or be on the fringes ready to like help us in the middle of the season? I think both of those are up for consideration maybe. And so like, if you make some moves with Tyus, I don't know the full you know stat sheet in front of me or salary sheet in front of me, but if you do what Honda is suggesting and give that guy twenty million, there's a chance that you're not as flexible at, at, at to make some fringe moves at the trade deadline to move and help your team make it to the Western Conference Finals next year, which is now sort of the goal. We've set ourselves up to win second. We we got like if we're going to improve every year, like we talked about. It's winning the second round now and making it to the Western Conference Finals. And I also think that means Kyle's gone. That's the way I read that. I, I just see I I see guys that didn't help us, obviously, in this playoff series on the out. I also think, too, that one of the reasons that Kyle was in-house is because of his sort of vet leadership i think number one we have a guy like steven adams who's on the books for next year he's going to be on the team for one more year and number two you're seeing our young guys actually step up and be leaders and they're ready to like take the mantle in a way and i love kyle um i would not at this point expect him if he had if he had shot the ball as well as he did last season then he has a place like i have no doubt he has a place um but I think that he is there. If I had to guess, <laughs> I don't. I think we probably give him like a smaller offer than he probably wants, um, because 
he's a guy that, you know, is just not going to demand. Um, he doesn't have as much leverage with this team as he would others. So I w- I'm kind of with you. I would be um, more surprised if he ended up signing than if he didn't. Uh, but I guess we'll see. Um, it's those two. I mean, it's a big swing decision because they're two guys that have been our veterans and have kind of steadied the ship in times of disarray. And is it time now to just hand the keys fully over and to upgrade those two guys into maybe one who, uh, who's a bit better. The other guys that are extension eligible this summer, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, and Steven Adams. Um, basically, when you're extension eligible, it means you're in the summer before the last year of your deal. So I'll be really interested to see what those deals look like, especially with a guy like Brandon Clark. Like, what's his number? What's his demand going to be for a guy who plays a very specific role and can't exactly shoot? Um, Dylan, I mean... <laughs> We've had our issues uh, with him. So, is there, has he, has he tanked his value to the point where you're in a similar position as last time you extended him to where you can keep him on like a low deal? Or is he a guy that, you know, do you shop him around and see what you can get? Uh, I mean, that's got to be a question you ask. And then, Steven Adams, I would, I would be pretty surprised if he was given an extension. I have on these sheets kind of up to what they can get. I don't think Dylan Brooks or Steven Adams are going to get up to those numbers. They're pretty high. Um, but just to note that, those are the other people, uh, the other players eligible for extension. And would you also say then, um, Will, that those are also guys who are sign and trade eligible to or sign and trade potentials for us to be thinking through like how they can move off some of those guys? Yeah, the thing with sign and trade is when you do sign and trade, or I don't know if you can actually do a sign and trade with an extension. Um, I'd have to look that up. I I don't think you can. I think it has to be like a your own free agent that you're you're signing and then trading. Um, that new contract that's going to kick in the year directly after. Um, but. Anyway, and I do know that when you sign and trade, you do hard cap yourself um, at a certain number. That's it's called the the apron. So, um, good question. Um, I don't know the answer, but I could find. I it. don't think you can do. Yeah, I think you can only sign and trade a person that's essentially like an unrestricted free agent. So it's a way. Yep. To basically, let's say, like Detroit, Orlando, and Milwaukee are all trying to get Tyus. And basically, all three are going to sign him to whatever they can sign him to. They can all offer him essentially the same thing. We could basically call Orlando and be like, what do you want for Tyus? What are you going to give us in return? We could call all three teams. And basically, that assures, let's say Orlando offers us the best option. That assures that Orlando gets them gets him and we also get something in return and we have bird rights on Tyus, uh so we can essentially sign him for a little bit longer than any other team can and so that yeah. incentivizes you know Tyus to want to sign on our books but then we get an asset in return if we trade him yeah so we don't lose him for nothing um just to kind of round this out we have two first round picks as of right now in the draft coming up um and second round pick. 
Actually, we might have two second round picks. Um, we have our the Jazz first round pick, uh, as well as our own. The draft is on June twenty third, and then free agency kicks off July first. So we're gonna really get into some free agent options. We're gonna get into some fake trades and uh, see if we can uh, kind of put put the uh, different categories of kind of swing for the fences, middle of the road. Uh, but I don't know. This team, like we said, don't be surprised with what happens. So let me uh, let me ask you this really quickly. Who would you be surprised if, besides Ja? Let's just take Ja and Bain. Let's just take Ja off the table. Who do you think is el- who is not eligible to be moved off of this team? In the front office's mindset, not your opinion, like what you desire. So you're saying from the from front, Kleiman's front POV, perspective, who are where they? he's saying basically Zaire. You're okay. They won't move on. You think Jaren? Okay. I think Zaire. I think it's Jaren and Bain. Maybe I maybe I could see Zaire just because he's so cost controlled and he's so young. But I think the the main two are Jaren and, and Bain. For sure, I think everyone else could could get everyone made. else. So that's what we're sort of saying, like what we're reading in between the lines on climbing. It's like, for sure, yes. And he and you got to look at kind of who are the guys making the contracts that could match a big salary, and it's yep. the Dylan Brooks contract, it's the Stephen Adams contract, um, and depending Melton, on what you sure. do and Melton. Um, so, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up too. So if you look at what we kind of did last year, like we traded away Grayson basically to give Bain a runway. Like, I wonder what do y'all think that looks like as far as like where that signing trade, just not bringing Kyle back to give Zaire a runway. Do y'all think there's a chance that happens or do you think that's not really in the cards? I think thinking totally. along the lines of how we did, you know, with Grayson and Bain, because Grayson played a lot, and we basically got rid of him so Bain could could come in. Yeah, I think you could totally see that. It makes it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, Zaire and Kyle play pretty much the same position. You'd hope that Zaire can't quite hang yet um, on defense like Kyle can, but I mean, that's just to me like a clear, a clear and easy path to get more PT for Zaire. Yeah. I think that's a, there's a great point on the getting rid of Grayson side of things. Um, that's one way that I could see us doing it, but I, man, I, I really wonder who I'm about to, I really wonder if Jaron is in that mindset for them. Like untouchable. I think so for sure. I'd be shocked. I would be, I would be absolutely floored. shocked yeah, if he got dealt at this point. Um, I think that you. I think that you just lose too much uh, with him. Like I don't know what I could get in return that would be worth losing a guy that young uh, who anchors a defense that wouldn't be a lot without him. So it would have to be a guy – it would have to be like an upgrade at his position with some of the same trajectory. And I don't know how many guys there are out there. 
But, I mean, I Yeah, I we'll agree. See. I think for him to be 22 years old and led the league in blocks, um, total blocks and blocks per game, um, his three-point percentage of these playoffs was back up to around 38%, so that was pretty encouraging to see on pretty high volume. One thing I was talking to you all earlier today, like if you watch kind of Aiton, everyone's like Aiton, great rim protector, kind of got played off the floor a little bit in the Dallas series, kind of got taken advantage of because they just got the switch on Luka. Yes, I know Luka can – I mean, no one can really guard him. But I was kind of talking to you all earlier. I just feel like defensively now, Jaron's gotten to a point where he can't really get played off the floor with the caveat of the fouls, obviously. Like he can play himself off by fouling too much getting in foul trouble but like he can play every type of way that you want to defensively and if you watch the playoffs I, I saw a stat that was really interesting to me basically like I think Maxi Kleber has played the most minutes of anyone like 610 and up in the playoffs which is kind of wild which basically says to me like your big guy has to be able to stretch the floor a little bit um, and has to be able to switch and guard the perimeter guys. And to me, Jaron is just like they pr- the prototypical guy who can do both those things crazy well. Um, yes, he can be obviously be frustrating at times. Yes, I feel like his offense has a ways to go. But I feel like there are moments, especially defensively, where you're just like, God, he's everywhere all the time. Um, and I, I, I feel like I personally have to always remember he's 22. He's the second youngest player on our roster. Which is insane. Let me ask you. Let me just let me just play devil's advocate for a second because this is. I knew uh, it was coming. I knew so it. So like, if Jaron gives you the ability to go get you a true number two, I'm talking. Oh man, this is about to be like I don't I don't love all these n- people, but I'm just gonna name them. <laughs> if it's like, what if it's like, let's just say like Booker. Or or Levine, or these guys that we know could come in and where they would definitely be in the playoffs. A guy that's an elite number two scorer next to Jock could be number one some nights if you need him. If you're climbing, I'm I'm just telling y'all. I'm reading that statement and thinking anything is possible, even Jaron potentially. That's what I. I may be dead wrong, and we're never going to really know, but that's what I sort of think. Here's here's one thing that gives me pause on that is the way in which Jenkins was talking about the specific developmental plans for Jaron this offseason, and I would be shocked if somehow he and Kleiman aren't on the same page. And I just think that he wouldn't be as candid about those specific things that he wants to work with Jaron on. If, I mean, Jenkins had Jenkins and JV had um, comments, by the way, last year about his development plan. I know it's a little different. I'm just, again, this is what I do. No, that's great. I'm with you. I think that if you, if we turn around and in three months we have a, you know, blockbuster involving Jaron, you're going to be, you're going to be the one guy <laughs> who was who was basically predicting that it could I'm be I'm not a thing. also saying um, I want it by the way. I just see that and I'm like 
Hey, look, 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 let me throw something else out there just like freaking nuts. I'm not saying this is the thing or we would do it, but there was all that Zion smoke where people were being like, it, it, it was sort of some smoke and Jalen Rose said it and it hasn't happened since then. But I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that could be a, I'm not saying it's Jaron, but those are, I mean, like, let's be real. When you watch like what held up the bucks from making it to their, to another Eastern conference finals yesterday. Um, probably Middleton being not having a true number two. He's not even really a true number two, but Giannis is so good that he makes him a number two. That's all I'm saying. Like, I would love. Uh, th- I th- think I just that's what I that's the way I read. I, I don't. I'm surprised that they're already there, but that's what I sort of see that statement meaning. Yeah, I mean, I think to me it's going to have to be, like, I think in an ideal world, Kleiman sees Jaron as like a great number three, so. I get your point of like, can you up up if you upgrade a uh, a three slash maybe two to a surefire two slash maybe one, like on paper that trade makes sense. But I think the opportunity cost of what you're losing, um, but just the fact that Jaron could be the perfect Draymond esque guy behind two you know, outside scorers who can fill it up. I I think that prospect is their ideal, and I don't know how they're going to get there with the current pieces, especially if they don't want to give up a guy like Bain. Um, but who knows? Who's more untouchable, Bain or Jaron? Now this is my opinion. Now I want you all to answer this from your own personal feelings. Personally, I think I think Jaron is probably more untouchable, and I'll I'll say why. Kind of coming off your last point too, I think the type of player that Jaron is maybe a little bit still in theory, but still like what he's shown flashes of, especially defensively, just everything that he brings. I think those players are incredibly rare to find. And they are much harder to find than a six-six-two guard who can shoot well from three. Not any, obviously, I'm not, you know, trying to take any credit away from Bain and what he's done. Like that's he's awesome. Love Bain so much. But I feel like if Jaron like reaches his potential, there are truly only a handful of guys in the league that could be on his level. And I'm not saying he may never get there. But I think if he does get there, I think Jaron could truly be like, everyone would look at him in the league and be like, I have to have that guy. Where do I go find one of those guys? That's kind of where I feel like, A, I just feel like we can't trade Jaron right now in his development. I get it that like the surefire number two thing, like I completely understand that. But almost if you, to throw out the names like Booker and Levine, like, I feel like those guys, oddly enough, may be more available than the Jaron type of player. Um, especially, again, I just keep going back to like bigs in, in the playoffs getting played off the floor and all that kind of stuff. Like I just feel like teams are just like starving for a seven-footer who can lead the league in blocks and also shoot 38% from three. And that's essentially what Jaron did in the playoffs. 
I just feel like that's so rare that you have to see that play out. Like you just have to. Yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with Ty here. I, I think I I want both of them. Honestly, I mean I want Bain and Jaron. That wasn't the question, but like you what you get in Jaron if he's playing at his peak is as unique as you'll see in the NBA. And I don't think that I think that if you trade Jaron for a guy who primarily plays on the perimeter and probably isn't at a point like, for instance, the Levines, the Bookers, they're just not near defensively um, what you need. And I think we're seeing how important defensive is or defense is in the playoffs and having a guy like Jaron. But again, it's a big if. Like it's we're we're talking theoretically here. We're talking development. We're talking long term future. So, um, and and it, we'll see if it's going to be if we're having the same conversation next year. That could be a sign. Uh, he is only twenty two, twenty three. So, um, that's I mean, listen, that's a it's a big discussion, and it has to. I'm be just had. trying to I'm trying to think of like other decently like young bigs like how many bigs even like under like 28 would you take moving forward besides like would you rather have towns or jaron for the next eight years well let me let me ask it this way of the final four in the in the current fight in the you know in the nba playoffs like who's investing in their bigs like we're investing in jaron Bam, but I don't think any of them have a big like Jaron. Yeah, Bam's a, Bam's a great. Bam, Bam is actually. one of of the four. Draymond sort of, but he's unique. Yep. He's different. I don't. I wouldn't put him in the same Jaron category. Last year, it was you know everybody loved Aiton last year. This year, they're really off of him. You know, and. You, the Bucks had a traditional big who could sort of shoot a three in Lopez. I just, I don't know. Like, I love Jaron. I'm not on team trade Jaron. I'm on t- team, I think he may be, based on reading those quotes, I'm just saying that I think that they're thinking about upgrading the entire roster to fit who this new Grizz pedigree of a person is which I, uh, may be future podcast discussion of like, let's identify like what that means to fit. You know, we have a type now, which is super fun. I, it would not surprise me if he's in that consideration set. And I, I mean, mainly because I just, you can't count on them to get you a bucket all the time in the playoffs when it really matters. And I think you need it if you're investing that type of salary in them. So that's why I'd be considering it based on those quotes. Well, that is quite the tease for the offseason. We have a lot of discussions to be had. We are not going to get to it all on this podcast. This is... I hope this served as a, as a good introduction for the type of conversations we're going to have uh, throughout the offseason, topic by topic. Um, this has been a lot of fun. There's a lot to come. So for Brantley, for time, Will, thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon.